Welcome back to the podcast for winners. I'm Zach, and this is my co-host, James. On this week's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about business and finance. More specifically, we want to take a look at how the new pandemic age and government and consumer response is affecting decision makers. Welcome back to the podcast for winners. Uh, so, James, business, finance, accounting, econ, you know, um, I know the uh, the Dickey College was your home. It wasn't mine. And from an engineering perspective, I hear all those words, and it's like, oh, those are the same thing, right? Like, that's the, they're the same majors. Uh, <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> um, some people actually might take offense to that. So, yes, but. It's a joke. We joke here. I would separate econ and business into two different things, even though as a business person, you, of course, have to know economics. But all the other um, things are kind of a subset of business, and they kind of take on like uh, industries of their own in certain cases, like finance is a whole different thing. It involves business people, but it's, it's a whole separate industry when you come to talk about the equity markets and fixed income and all that. So... Let's start with econ. How about that? That's an easy one. It's all about resources. It's all about uh, goods and services. Guns and butter is the classic example, uh, uh, econ example. But um, you kind of just, in econ, it's like the study of how you allocate your resources to kind of achieve maximum results to achieve your needs and wants. And uh, when it comes to econ in the US, we have the aggregate economic, um, the aggregate economy and, you know, micro. Uh, so macro and micro and um, measures of this would be like, of macro per se would be like GDP. So that's the big one. Everybody's worried about mm -hmm. the GDP numbers. We have record low GDP numbers this year, of course, with the pandemic. Um, it's, not good. <laughs> it's, it's not good. Q1 was not good. We haven't seen numbers like this in a really long time, like particularly the 80s was a really rough time for our economy. Um, so when people reference like, oh, we haven't done this type of fiscal policy since the 80s, you know it's kind of getting bad. Gotcha. So, uh, <laughs> well, when you look at microeconomics, you're talking about things like industry, um, individual businesses, how they operate within their industry, and uh, like personal consumption expenditures or PCE. Um, and if you're interested in something like this, you can find all these like charts and all this great data on uh, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which I have a close friend who works there. So shifting to business though, business is all about making stuff run. It's legal entities that kind of, that, that engage in professional, I guess, activities, whether that be industrial, commercial, anything you can think of your mom and pop store your local convenience store, that's a business. And uh, business is a broad term, so I was like a management major, which was stupid, so just <laughs> as a, <laughs> well, why, why was that stupid? <laughs> because you kind of, in today's day and age, um, every, not, I don't wanna say everyone's going to college, but more people are going to college than ever. It's readily accessible, the government is uh, funding a lot of people's education, as they did with mine, and, uh, 
you want to be as specific as possible. Like you, you didn't just study engineering, you studied a specific type of engineering, right? Well, yeah, I did do mechanical engineering, but I will say that's like also the engineering for people that don't really know what they want to do. And they're just kind of like, okay. it's a really broad field that you can go in a lot of different directions in, right? Okay. Well, I didn't know that. I stand corrected, but there are like more, um, so you, you, previously studied petroleum engineering yeah that's that's a much so, more specific discipline yes right so that's a that's a better example i guess so like what i did i guess man i was a management major so that's like the equivalent of like kind of being a mechanical engineer i guess you can go in the direction of like organizational studies or human resources um but i kind of realized later in my college career that i like kind of wanted to do finance but we didn't have the major at onu and so i just took as many classes mm -hmm. as possible and um I'm trying to successfully now make that transition, but that's where an MBA comes into play. But gotcha. that's another story for another day. Um, let's look at accounting. Accounting is just like taking account, literally taking account. It's in the name of like your business transactions. So this is where your balance sheet comes into play, your cash flow and uh, your income statements and stuff like that. So you're basically auditing all of your business practices and expenditures. With finance, on the other hand, which people get confused, accounting and finance, finance is all about the money. So managing it, creating it, uh, studying it, and like studying investments. So when I say creating it, I mean more so like sourcing it. So how are you funding your business? Uh, there's an old saying, I don't know how old it is, but I heard it once. Uh, accountants tell you how you spend your money, finance people tell you where to find it. So. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so finance people are maybe, well, not necessarily, but from my perspective with backgrounds and like resource exploration and stuff, so like a finance person's the, the person for the bank on the other side that's looking at me with a real crazy eye. Like this doesn't add up. You're, this risk doesn't make any sense. Why would we give you this money? Like that's, that's the finance people kind of. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. And like finance takes, like I said, it takes on a whole industry of its own. You have the risk management guys, you have the quants, real brainy guys. So sometimes uh, a math major will end up in finance as a quantitative analyst because they're really good at that stuff. So gotcha. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, finance in general, just like some of the the different things that people are able to come up with in terms of like uh, debt structures, equity. Um, different types of uh, special purpose vehicles to kind of repackage uh, repackage certain equities and kind of resell them to, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I would definitely recommend um, reading about a guy named George Soros, Ray Dalio, great, great um, finance, le great and legendary finance guys who also wrote. So if you're interested in that, I would definitely take a look at that. So yeah, that's like, read any of that. That sounds interesting. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, those are like the basic differences between like, like okay. you know, all the business, business majors. So then would it be fair, like to go back to engineering for me to um, describe it how I understand it. So econ might be more like physics and these other fields are more applied sciences with varying degrees of specialization and kind of, what have you is that is that a fair like the, yeah. the, the econ's about fundamentally understanding how the markets work 
and everything else is trying to put that into practice almost in different ways. Exactly. So um, econ is very much so a social science. So um, it's all about, there's a big portion of it that's about behavioral economics. So what's what's driving people to spend or save a certain way or driving businesses okay, so to that, behave a certain way. That's almost like psychology then or closely related to psychology, right? Yeah, and there, but there's a math element in it too. And, right, um, right, yeah. yeah, so. Sounds like definitely, all these fields get like the more advanced and they start getting all interdisciplinary, but there's only like a handful yeah. of people in the world that actually know how to bring all those moving parts together. It's, it's all very interesting. Yeah, and there's a field of applied economics too, and you'll find those people at like the Fed and the Treasury kind of putting those theories and practices at work. So, yeah. Fascinating. So now, now that we have that background down, um, you mentioned the how the pandemic has had very, very uh, once in a generation maybe effects on the economy. So let's let's dive into that topic. Seems very very appropriate. James, how's the pandemic right. affecting the economy? Well, it's affecting it. That's for sure. Um, we haven't seen an epidemic slash pandemic like this since. 1918. Um, I mean, Ebola didn't affect this this way. It didn't really get over here. Zika didn't really get over here like this. So it's definitely an unprecedented time. But I think the easiest way to kind of get into it is to talk about like how the different parts of our economy kind of affect one another. So what the pandemic did by forcing stay-at-home orders was interrupted the flow of capital. So the way we do business here, let's say Main Street is one aspect of the economy. Then you have the banks, and then you have the financial markets. So capital kind of, it flows to and from, uh, to and from Main Street to the banks and vice versa through like loan, loaning businesses money, uh, loaning them, you know, uh, for capital, for uh, short-term capital and, uh, you know, operational expenses, all that, mm -hmm. all that jazz, uh, loans for people to start business. Um, and of course, banks make money on this, on these loans. This is why they're loaning you money, just so they can make money. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, so by the, forcing a stay-at-home order, we're, we're interrupting that flow of capital. So if businesses can't get customers, they clearly can't pay back their loans. Um, they can't keep their doors open. People can't work. So there's less uh, capital in circulation for consumers to go buy elsewhere. And um, yeah, so it's just, it's just a, a whole bunch of effery and it's, it's very rough. So, on the other hand, capital flows to and from um, banks to the financial markets and vice versa. So banks are engaging in activities, trading, investment banking, all of these things. Um, so if banks are in trouble and the main street's in trouble, the financial markets are in trouble, usually. And uh, with certain parts of main street, the financial markets affect that as well. So 
if you count big corporations, S and P 500 corporations, big uh, publicly traded companies, then mm -hmm. of course they're gonna lose value because of the stock market. Well, not only are they gonna lose value because of the stock market, but they're also not getting any customers. So they're they're facing the same effects as small Main Street business that isn't public, and they're facing struggles on the other side of being publicly traded. So it's it's a whole bunch. It's like cutting off literally the lifeblood of our economy. Like the consumer is the lifeblood. So mm. if we're not buying things, uh, unemployment's at an all-time high. It's very, very tough for us to even creep forward at a slow pace. So uh, right. So it's like just you just like put a kink in the hose, and the flow just stops because the way everything's built, just money yeah. just keeps flailing around, floating around from person to bank, from bank to person, from person to government, from government to business, just needs to keep jumping from place to place. Exactly, exactly. So specifically, I like to refer to this kind of as, have you ever heard of the term uh, trickle-down economics? Yes. Reaganomics? I think, I think everyone's heard of that term. That's yes. so, so um, overused. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So basic idea being that you give breaks to these top organizations and kind of the breaks that they get from government um, regulations and taxes kind of trickle down to the average consumer through savings and whatnot. E economic stuff. It's more way more complicated than that, but right. for, for the sake of the podcast, I'll keep it to that. But um, I kind of refer to this type as like a bottom up <laughs> disintegration because you're whereas Reaganomics starts at the top and trickles down this kind of starts at the bottom and works its way up so because right. nobody think about do it. anything <laughs> right yeah <laughs> well this, the Fed has this one, this one sounds like more that. more destructive than just the way you drive <laughs> it physically this, this sounds much more destructive <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's something that a lot of people should definitely pay more attention to I know like the markets have been doing well. Of course, we'll talk about that later because of actions taken by the Fed, but what I call the real economy, which is everyday people, everyday people are of course struggling. I mean, there aren't, the real GDP is down significantly and it's gonna be down again um, this upcoming quarter. So uh, two straight quarters of GDP contraction marks a recession. So mm. it'll be a real, economic recession so yeah it's just it's just going to take us some time and some more effort to get us back to where we need to be and wear a mask <laughs> yeah seriously everybody wear a mask winners wear masks come on yes winners wear masks for sure for sure um so that was that was small business mm -hmm. so large businesses kind of face like i said before similar effects that small businesses do um but unfortunately due to their publicly traded nature on most accounts uh certain sectors this has kind of accelerated a little bit of uh the death of certain companies um particularly oh. in the retail sector we talk about the shale companies too the u.s oil companies are not yeah not faring well but that's also partially their fault it's the one area yeah. I know a little bit about <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, no, that'd be a, definitely interesting to talk about because, um, like, I don't think, what was it, last month or the month before, like, like oil prices were. Oh, yeah. The they were negative. Went negative for a day. Um, yeah. Because, <laughs> so there's a really complicated system how they actually, like, physically get mm-hmm. rid of the oil, right? And they have to yeah. store it in these things in Oklahoma, basically. And they were full because people couldn't move it fast enough. So the people in Oklahoma were literally paying people to take the oil away from them because they like had to take it in from their contracts or whatever. So yeah, it went totally negative because somebody was giving up money to move the oil, dude. And it w- it was moving down so fast, man. So that was like, I mean, like the the last couple of weeks of my petroleum engineering master's degree, right? And some of my classmates, mm-hmm. oh, I felt so bad for them. Just watching, just watching that. It was like I, I was in a yeah. group chats, and people were just like, "Oh my god, I don't have a future." So yeah, it's <laughs> it's definitely like that's insane. That's akin to the feeling of uh, you being a finance professional in 07, like late 07. Just you everything, gotta be everything dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or just everything's falling apart around you. Um, yeah, and I was like, hey, if I my my retirement plans would retire on some ranch in Montana. If I had the ranch right now, I would have drove to Oklahoma, picked up a couple barrels. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah. I'll say not not to get too sidetracked on the oil thing oil thing though, but the small American companies, small and mid size in particular, have been all in on this shale gas stuff and like hydraulic fracture. Yeah. Which has been great mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways, but the way that financing has worked out, and I don't know all the details of it, I just know that the banks would have been coming for them later this year regardless, because those mm-hmm. wells do not return the investment well. Uh, and really, compared to what we would call conventional oil and gas, there are not very many people that actually understand the physics of what's going on in those wells. And so there's a lot of bullshit in that, in that yeah. like entire sector. If you want to compare it to last week, we were talking about people kind of trying to pull the wool over investors. I think there was no shortage of that yeah. in the oil gas industry. Yeah. Especially like with certain sentiments that rather like we want, we're, we've been attempting to move our energy needs back stateside. And that was such a like big part of that whole thing. And yeah, when you don't, it's just, it's insane to me that as an investor, and I know it's easy to get when it's not your industry focus to get kind of fooled by the mumbo jumbo. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I personally would have liked to seen the scientific evidence backing any sort of manufacturing process. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's in between. There's people that would have been able to intelligently speak, and it mostly would have sounded scientific in comparison to, <laughs> yeah. uh, like what those investors would have been used to. I, I think, I think people in the industry legitimately just didn't understand how wrong they were about certain ways about how those wells behave as well mm-hmm. uh, and there's there's actually been a whole data driven revolution in that sector where people are making decisions almost entirely off of data and not based off of uh, their physical understanding of what's going on which maybe was a bit of a paradigm shift in terms of how their 
quantifying what the production will look like and stuff. But anyways, it's yeah. a little topic that, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. And that happens. And um, like sometimes all the information isn't going to be clear. And if it were, then clearly things would be priced correctly and you wouldn't have had banks coming for uh, these these companies at the end of the year. Well, the banks are still going to get their money. <laughs> no, there's oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. But like, uh, yeah, it, it happens as an investor and sometimes you roll the dice and sometimes you're wrong about that decision. So, right. um, oh, yeah. So, so what has the government... Like, like, take me through the government's thought process. Uh, how did they get Mitch McConnell to agree to this multi-trillion-dollar bill of government money? Like, what's what's going on? Why is this so urgent? Why is it so serious? What did they all think needed to happen? You know, Ex explain the the whole stimulus package to me in like five minutes or less, James. You can do that, right? <laughs> the whole stimulus package. Yeah, uh, sure. So basically, the CARES Act, as they have dubbed it. Um, it's an acronym for something. Uh, something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so basically what they wanted to do was pump liquidity into the economy. They wanted to put money into people's pockets. They wanted to, uh, which is interesting because, I mean, we were only shopping online at that point. I don't know where we were going to go. But they wanted people to also be able to pay their bills. It, it was a good look for the administration to do something like this. Um, in my my opinion, I think it fell a little bit short on like uh, certain like expectations. But they did do a lot of good things. They gave everyone who pays their taxes, of course, twelve hundred dollars if you make less than forget what the threshold is, but if you make less than a certain amount um, per annum in terms of income. And uh, they also did payroll protection, so they gave certain size businesses or well a lot of businesses actually applied but uh they gave businesses the ability to kind of extend their payroll out so people weren't getting um getting fired mm -hmm. they wanted people to not get fired um so they're still on the payroll which actually ends up saving you know certain municipalities a little bit of money because there is you know unemployment and you don't want unemployment expense, expenses for government to skyrocket. Right. But they ended up happening anyway because um, under the bill, they also like give you $600 a month extra for unemployment. So a lot of people who, a lot of people in a lot of places who ended up losing their jobs ended up, are now making more unemployment than they were. Mm -hmm. um, That's, I knew um, prior. I, one of my friends in Denver, she was like a teacher of some kind, but not like in a public school system, just for like a, a private place for like four-year-olds or something. So she, they didn't pay her very much. And then she got furloughed or whatever you want to call it, wherever she was like on unemployment then, and she was making more money on unemployment than she got to for that school. Yeah. It's good for her. It's yeah, it is. And um, yeah, it's, which is insane to even think about that. Uh, which kind of speaks itself to like <laughs> some of the wage gaps in certain areas of the country. Right. It's kind of scary uh, to think that people could be making more not working than working. But um, yeah. And also uh, the federal government provided assistance to local and uh, state governments as well. So they could, you know, again, that's help with the unemployment and things like that. So 
Yeah, Sundance Package, I think, was, I wouldn't call it a success. I think it should have been more than $1,200. Like, if we're going in, we might as well go all in, personally. Well, they're, they're talking about doing more, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, I think there were definitely a lot of complaints about the $1,200. But what yeah, I mean, do? it's really not that much money. No. Unless you're not. living in, like, in a cheap state in a rural area, like any city, that's just not much money at all. <laughs> No, but they tried, uh, which is more than you can say about other aspects of this administration, but we're not here to get political. No, we're not. <laughs> yeah. That was the federal government's actions. The Federal Reserve actually took fairly dramatic actions to kind of keep everything stable thus far. Okay, so, so the Federal Reserve can kind of operate independently of the administration or Congress, is what you're telling me right there. Well, they don't operate independently, but it's the Federal Reserve technically is not a part of um, the federal government. Oh, okay. But, I did not know that. Yeah, so yeah, the, the Federal Reserve is a separate entity, but it's the central bank of the United States. So the US sitting US president appoints the sitting US the sitting chair of the Federal Reserve. Okay. So usually the policies move in line with what the what the president wants. And the uh, administration can take cert certain executive actions to, you know, make things happen, as they say. So they all work together, the 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 uh, administration the treasury department and the federal reserve to make kind of to make things work but the federal reserve uh has taken like again anytime you reference the 80s when it comes to the economy it's usually not a good thing but they've taken some of the most dramatic actions we've seen since the 1980s um starting with uh they cut the federal funds rate so the way it works in united which is 150 basis points and Usually, they'll only cut 25 to 50 points off their federal funds rate. And this is significant because the rate is zero. So when it comes to borrowing, what this means is the federal funds rate sets kind of the interest rate that all other banks in the United States operate off of. Okay. So... Um, when that rate is low, the banks will, of course, their rates will be low as well. They can offer loans. So this is where kind of the divergence between big business and small business kind of happens. So if you take, um, who just went bankrupt this week, uh, or last week, Brooks Brothers, Brooks Brothers, the clothing brand, 200 year old company. Yeah, I didn't um, see that one. Yeah lasted through several like many recessions uh so like they've been around for a while but as we know retail is slowly shrinking in the united states um brick and mortar retail specifically and their inability to shift to more of an online based uh company has kind of is leaving them behind a bit so they they filed for bankruptcy and what they were able to do was get a loan at zero percent so they, they got free money to kind of save their business so that's the difference mm -hmm. 
when you have a large amount of assets, um, and again, we'll get to more of that later when it comes to the Fed, when they kind of take into account, like, or when it comes to banks, when they take into account like assets and things like that. But when you have a large amount of assets, of course you can leverage those assets to get a larger, a larger loan. So they're able to get a significant amount of money at 0%. Um, the Fed also, they, they also promise forward guidance. So I don't know if you've ever seen like your rate on your credit card. Yes. And so there's the rate. <laughs> so there's the rate when you sign up, and there's the average, the APR, and it's usually like a range of percentages. Mm-hmm. So you, the Fed, when the Fed uh, sets a sets a funds rate, so they only set a rate for a short term. So when they promise forward guidance, they're promising to keep those rates low for an extended amount of time. What this allows people to do is when they go for a loan in the bank, a la Brooks Brothers, they can uh, take out a loan and know the rate for, instead of six months, they can know it for 12. So it makes it um, makes it easier for lenders and lendees to kind of get money. And yeah, so like they're doing a lot of like good things to kind of help banks operate like they're supposed to operate even though even though things aren't great, um, they relax regulations for banks. Um, were you going to say something? I was going to comment. It's good that we have all these institutions that have been built up over decades and decades that not very many people know about in this country that are extremely competent in what they do and staffed by highly qualified people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely awesome. I, I don't know how like we're gonna end up like how this is gonna work out long term, but it's, it's right. cool that we have this. Yeah, like you said, these gigantic entities to help us kind of to guide us through these things. Uh, so, back to the banks. So the banks have, of course, regulations. After post '08 recession, you which was caused by big banks um, and foul play. Um, we passed acts like that, Frank, which some would debate hasn't really done much to regulate the banks, but regulations were higher under, were, were kind of bolstered under Obama. And um, so there are these guidelines that banks have to stick to with lending practices. There's a thing called a, a capital adequacy ratio. So they can't out leverage their, uh, so they can't lend out more money in loans than they have in deposits by a certain ratio. So since of course the practice of banking is taking other people's money, lending it out and getting it back and (laughs) making sure it's available, but, and they make money to the spread of interest rates, but yeah, so they they loosen uh, capital adequacy ratios. They are lending to the federal reserve. Central bank is lending directly to banks through their discount window. They lowered rates in their discount window. They've uh, lowered the, the quality um, requirements for collateral. So like, like I said, that's why it's important to have assets as a business because you can post collateral and uh, you know, more easily get loans. This is the big thing. This is where it kind of gets um, where I'm not really sure where the money's coming from or like, so basically, the Federal Reserve is backstopping 
literally everything they can get their hands on. Money for everybody. <laughs> uh, so, so like they're just printing more or? Well. <laughs> we don't, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're kind of just printing more. Um, so they're buying U.S. Treasury bonds at an unprecedented rate. Um, and they're buying mortgage-backed securities. Um, but these, these are kind of like really important because when they buy treasury bonds, it prevents rates from rising in other parts of the market. So a lot of parts of the market will set, set interest rates based on the U.S. Treasury bond yield. So it's important that they back that because um, when you stabilize that market, it kind of stabilizes other markets as well. Um, and they're buying, of course, mortgage-backed securities, um, which what this allows banks to do is um, banks have a lot of mortgage-backed securities, of course, because what do banks do mostly in America? The American dream is buying home, right? So a lot of banks have home loans on their on their balance sheets. So the fact that they have they know that they have a buyer for these for these uh for these bank mortgage backed securities, they can kinda they know they know that there's a liquidity market for it. So they can sell okay. those and lend out more money to uh, offer more loans to kind of to just more stabilize their balance sheet so they don't run risk of going out of business because the last thing we need right now is another bank collapse. So um sounds exciting. And yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you don't talk about anarchy. There's like <laughs> a few things that'll burn the world down, <laughs> and that's one of them. Um, uh, and the last big, this is like huge for Main Street. And by Main Street, I usually I'm just talking about uh, in this case the big corporations. Okay. Uh, commer commercial paper funding facilities are pumping the buys on short-term corporate bonds so i'm i i'm not exactly sure because this would i would have to do some deep dives on a few companies but i'm not sure what the quality of these bonds are but the federal reserve pretty much said it doesn't matter we're buying them so the bond and fixed income market does what the banking sector cannot do for these large companies so if apple apple a few years back because despite them having a quarter or so of a trillion dollars on their balance sheet, it's really hard to get large sums of money back into the United States without, you know, the Google alarms going off. Okay. So they just, they borrowed like $17 billion a while back. doesn't really matter. They're good for it. But when you need to borrow large sums of money like that, it's really tough to do without in the banking sector, without say like a banking syndicate, which is, uh, group of banks that come together to offer like a loan to like okay. a large loan to, to a certain corporation. But so um, what companies will do is they'll issue bonds. So bonds are kind of like loans. They're like a, like a, a weird hybrid between a loan and an equity kind of, cause they're like, there's a market for bonds, um, the fixed income markets. Um, but uh, point being, Bonds pay out an interest rate until their maturity date, in which on the maturity date, the 
uh, initial bond purchase price is paid back to the buyer. So it's it's very similar to a loan, but it's a very liquid market. So so uh, so you can get you can like sell large sums to to accumulate more money than you would by taking out a traditional bond or to, to a traditional loan. Okay. So by doing this, the Fed pretty much said, we're backing all big companies. <laughs> so <laughs> nobody's going out of business. Um, if you've noticed, the airlines bounced back. Um, no one's going anywhere. Right. Uh, Vegas opened for two weeks and closed, but yet the wind stock price is still going up. Um, so they really did the they did the large companies a real solid here um they're able to meet payroll um finance short-term uh funding needs so but big companies in a big office and they need to make rent they got the bond market if they need liquidity then on the other hand it's increasing the wealth gap significantly right yeah i was thinking that that sounds like they're also like buying more resent from a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately the average American isn't like you have a 401k that you're trying to, to that you're going to like change to an IRA. Mm -hmm. Right. So your 401k is an investment account. So you have several, if your fund manager is running it properly, you're invested in several different asset classes, both of them being the stock market. Um, a lot of people don't have the luxury of investing in the stock market. And a lot of very rich people in this company, or in this company, in this country do. And they have a lot of money to invest in equities. And while the average American doesn't have a job and they're receiving unemployment, there kind of hasn't been a consequence of this economic downturn, real economic downturn for, for the rich and empowered. So it's, it's very interesting. That's like a whole different, like psychological and like social, social impact mm -hmm. kind of side of it. Um, maybe we can, uh, no, 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 podcast topic for another day. <laughs> yeah. Podcast topic for another day. It's a whole well, no, I was going to say, so it's, so it's almost like, um, just the way, the money flows like what I'm seeing in my head is it's obviously gonna have all these branches connected to each other. So like if you think of a tree and then the part where the money goes from like wall street to everyone else, like you almost mirror the tree and there's just like a little bottleneck where the trunks are connected and it's just like hard to transfer the money in between those two places. Is that more or less, yeah, I think about it in terms of like dynamics of just like money moving around physically, like as a system. But yeah, that's, that's what I'm yeah. thinking in my head based on what you're saying is like once the money gets to the top, it's hard for it to go back down. And then just kind of right. keep it, yeah, yeah, it's not really going. It's not going back. It's not going back down at all. So uh, definitely no trickle down, no trickle down whatsoever. Uh, and that was the issue with trickle down economics. You, and that's where the theory and the practice always separate because you cannot predict the actions of individuals, of course. Okay. And, um, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So, um, going back into kind of the effect of all this on, uh, on the little, on the little guy. Right. So I've never really had a strong opinion on like universal basic income. Right. People want to bring it up. I'm like, Oh, I guess that sounds 
cool, but it sounds like a lot of money. I don't know. That's like, you know, it's just like so far out of the realm of anything that I know anything about that I just don't have a strong opinion mm -hmm. on. But just like kind of seeing how everything's gone since the pandemic and seeing, you know, that $1,200 was a big part of the stimulus bill. Um, so, so what I, I right now for the army work on projects related to making systems more resilient. So they need mm -hmm. to be able to bounce back and respond to sudden change. Right. Right. And what it sudden looks change. like the economy is right now is like a big, it was a big freight train and the track got a little fucked up. And then the crash is just violent and awful because there's no resilience mm -hmm. built into that system. And it makes you wonder if, if UBI is a good idea because of building that resilience into the system. And I was curious what you, as the more financial, financially literate person, finance person, yeah, <laughs> what are the things <laughs> of that? I, I think uh, and this would go back to kind of like, this is more of, to take all, you know, blame off myself if I'm wrong about this, but this is kind of a, uh, more of an economic, like social or uh, psychological discussion in terms of economics. But in terms of like basic, just basic intuitive thinking in terms of the financial side, it would allow the average person absolutely to meet their short-term needs or meet their basic needs for their standard of living, depending on, um, depending on how much, of course, the UBI is. So um, I think in certain sectors, it certainly creates like a price floor for certain things. Um, maybe, maybe utilities, but I think it's all about how, it's all, it's all good and dandy in theory. Like, so the, the average person would be able to, to meet their short-term needs, of course. But from a psychological standpoint, how do, like, we know that most people don't spend their money well. So what are people prioritizing? Again, economics about meeting needs and wants. And sometimes the wants outweigh the needs. Yes, they do. So I think it would definitely um, dampen a sudden shock to the economy. but long-term effects i'm not sure to be to be honest and sometimes it's okay to say you don't know so don't kill me over this, winners winners don't always know things yeah but um no and, and another another thing would be how how are we paying how are we paying for this well the, the federal reserve is going to keep buying buying bonds and bring money for yeah yeah free money right um Was that, isn't that a thing uh i see this floating around twitter all the time Modern monetary theory is the term, and I don't mm -hmm. really know what it is, but from what I glean, it sounds like it's just we can spend as, literally as much money as we want, and it doesn't matter. We just keep printing it. Um, I'm not sure if that's a fair representation of it or not, but every time I see it come up, even like really, really, really liberal economists I follow are always like, no, this is not how this works. But I would no, uh, a thought or an opinion on that. Yeah, it's not really how it works because, of course, the more money that's in circulation, of course, inflation becomes a factor. But the Federal Reserve does have like uh, monetary techniques to to kind of curb inflation in terms of manipulating interest rates and other things of that nature. Um, yeah, we we don't want to get into a situation like post World One World War One Germany where 
we're all sitting on mountain right. cash that are as good as toilet paper. So, yeah, that's <laughs> we all get resent filled, and then bad things happen. Yeah. People just gotta stop being resent. That's where the problems always start. Yeah. A bunch of people get resent. Yeah. yeah, the U.S. currency is a like it is a standard free currency though, so it's only practically is worth as much as we say it is. And that's a very basic way of putting it, but it's not tied to any gold value of gold or anything like that. Okay. As you know that Nixon took us off the gold standard back in the seventies. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So though the monetary or uh, currency is is a it is a slight reflection of like the gold prices. Like they'll they'll move in tandem but there's there's risk factors and things in there involved, but besides the point, yeah, you don't want to end up in a situation where we just have a bunch of kindling around. And <laughs> well, that's why you buy gold. Where you spend it. To hedge your bets, right? You just keep the gold in your yeah. backyard. No, I definitely bolster your gold portfolio. It's not a bad idea. I think we about ran through the list. You got any? What are the What are the takeaways? Do you have something in mind? What's it, what are yeah, the so, things people uh, should take away from, from this episode of the podcast, James? Takeaways, there's a difference between the business majors people, okay? Don't go <laughs> around offending people. I was counting people are not management people, and management people aren't finance people. They're all different. Well, I was a management person turned finance person. So, yeah. But um, the Federal Reserve has taken dramatic action to back our, our markets I would like to see, personally, something done for the little guy, a little bit more done for the little guy. Um, and keep an eye out for GDP, Q2 GDP numbers coming out. Um, that'll tell us really what the, the state of the aggregate economy is. Uh, yeah, and I think going forward, I mean, uh, uh, actions taken by the Fed were similar in 2008. We do have historical data to kind of um, see how like certain actions, they haven't been this dramatic, but certain actions impacted that crisis. And uh, we saw back in the way things like housing and um, housing and car loan markets be kind of bolstered by these actions and like stop the free fall. So we, we do have data to back this up. So I, I think just going forward and just good time will tell. Time, time will tell what happens, and hopefully it's good. Wear a mask so like we can go back to like normal life. For God's sake, awesome! Should everyone just wear a mask. Please <laughs> wear wear a mask. It's not it's not that hard. I can't breathe through my nose, it's and I still the wear a mask. Easiest, the like, easiest thing you can do is put the mask on. Yeah, but yeah, that's all I got. Hopefully, I did an okay job of explaining things. I'm not a teacher. I just try to you know get these thoughts off. Yeah. I think you did great, James. I learned a lot today that I didn't know before. Oh, that's great. I'm happy I could help. <laughs> that's it. Leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Like, subscribe, share on YouTube, and thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. No energy vampires. No energy vampires.